Good evening, New York Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton, and you are listening to Jet Nation Radio. And as we all know, after much speculation, we all saw it coming. Everyone knew it was happening. Todd Bowles has been relieved of his duties as the head coach of the New York Jets. Some would say an overdue move. (laughs) I would be one of those people, but let's be honest, all that matters is that Todd Bowles is gone and this team is ready to move forward. Coaching search is already underway. Todd Bowles, of course, let go after the season finale against the New England Patriots. Another blowout loss in four full seasons with the Jets. Todd Bowles went 10 and 6, 5 and 11, 5 and 11, and 4 and 12. That's 24 and 39 total. After starting his first season 10 and 5, he lost his Week 17 game against the Bills, as we all remember. And from that point on, or from after that 10 and 5 start, it was 14 and 35 from that point on. So not, not a very good showing for Todd Bowles. Listen, anyone who listens to this show knows that I was ready to move on from Todd Bowles. I, I don't know how you could argue that. I have no idea. But let's be honest. The guy, from, from, a, from a human being standpoint, I feel for the guy. You know, I don't think he was a bad person. I don't wish the guy ill will, these people on Twitter and Facebook and I hate this guy and, you know, the, 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 the personal hatred. I've said it before on this show. I, I love sports and, I, I you know, I, I love the NFL and I love the Jets and I, I don't understand the, the when the hatred gets on a personal level. Um, I can understand it when it's, you know, if it's a guy that you know is just mailing it in, hammering checks and not giving effort. I understand getting pissed at a guy on a personal level there. But as far as Todd Bowles goes, good guy. I wish him well. But here's the bottom line with Todd Bowles. We mentioned the record. Uh, we, we found out this week, Manish Mehta tweeted out, for those of you who may have missed it, that that Week 17 loss against the Bills in Week 1, when everyone wondered why Chris Ivory didn't play, uh, that according to Manish Mehta, that was Todd Bowles looking ahead. He decided he was going to rest Chris Ivory for the playoffs before he was in the playoffs. That really, that should have gotten him fired there. You could make the case it was year one. It's a mistake he'll learn. But that's a huge mistake. I mean, we're not talking about a guy who's never experienced the NFL before. This is a former player who'd coached for several years, and he's resting his best players in what was essentially a playoff game, win or go home. So that was probably his biggest screw-up. Well, let's be honest. It doesn't get a lot worse than that. But we saw in that game and many times after that how his defenses were beaten by teams. And, again, there's a defensive guy, defensive guru, defensive genius, um, consistently beaten by teams that only had one real major weapon, one guy worth defending, wouldn't double-team receivers frequently enough, too conservative. A lot of times you felt like he was coaching scared, and oh, too many players regressed under his watch. You know, we've talked about it on this show, Leo Sheldon, Tremaine Johnson, Mo Wilkerson, you know, to a lesser degree because he's not on that same level, but Spencer Long, uh, Marcus Gilchrist, you know, a lot of those guys I just mentioned were supposed to be his best players and had proven over time that they could be great players in this league. Under Todd Bowles, they regressed. The team got worse. The results got worse as the talent was added. And he had to go. That's it. You know, that, that we're not going to go any farther than that. We know the situation. 
Todd Bowles is out, and now the question becomes, who comes in? Who takes over that spot? And and actually, before I go any farther, let's let's give a quick thank you to our sponsor, Mile Social. Mile Social will help your business with your social media, websites, and SEOs. Check them out at milesocial.com, M-I-L-E, social.com. Check them out. A lot of business owners have to wear a lot of hats. Let uh, let Mile Social take some of that stuff off your plate and, and get some more money in your pockets. So anyway, Jets go out, get their doors blown off by New England, as you know, as many expected. Bolt is let go, and now right away the names start leaking. Who the Jets are going to talk to? Which which coaches they're interested in? Fans have the folks they want. There are different, you know, different levels of risk involved with each of these guys. Some guys, and, and for different reasons, whether it's an experience at the pro level, whether it's a not so great experience at, at, the, at the pro level, lack of experience at the pro level, there is no perfect candidate. There is no slam dunk, although a lot of people seem to feel that way. Um, but we'll start off, we're going to go through the list of names that we're hearing right now, that everybody's hearing right now. Just give you my thoughts real quick, um, for what it's worth. So Mike McCarthy, I'm going to start with Mike McCarthy for the simple reason that he, he's the safest bet. I, I get that. I, I understand. For those who, who have McCarthy at the top of their list, I, I kind of get it. You know, it does make sense. And that's why I, I wouldn't love McCarthy. But I wouldn't hate it, okay, because the Jets have to get this right. This is the first time that we can honestly say that we we feel comfortable in saying that we've got a franchise quarterback. We haven't had one of those in almost 50 years. So you can't screw it up. So you have a coach staring you in the face that you can look at and say, this guy's track record tells us a couple things. One, that he can develop a quarterback. Two, that he can win a Super Bowl. Three, that he can win a hell of a lot more games than he loses. That's what Mike McCarthy has given the Packers in his time with the Packers. However, you get the feeling when you watch the Packers and Mike McCarthy, the time's already passing him by a little bit. He's not, he hasn't adjusted. He, you know, it, uh, an insane number of an insane number of Green Bay's offense is all 15 yards and in, quick short throws, and let's face it, let's I mean I, I hate I, it drives me nuts when people take one game or one play to define someone as something being something other than what they are, because Mike McCarthy is a very successful coach in this league, but he did just find a way to lose to the worst team in the NFL the Arizona Cardinals, who will be picking one on draft day, he lost to the worst team in the NFL with Aaron Rodgers, at quarterback. I think that's how far the Packers have fallen under Mike McCarthy. But, again, I can see the Jets looking at him and saying, we know what we – hell, we don't know any. No one knows anything. Anything can happen. But we, we feel as comfortable as one could possibly feel that this guy will not ruin our young quarterback. And that's – kind of priority number one right now not just not just developing Sam Donald but but getting him to play well for an extended period of time so that's that's 
basically, the draw with McCarthy is he's safe. The fact that he won one ring in Green Bay, the fact that they lost so many high-scoring games and could never really get a defense to win more than one ring. Do you want a guy who you look at and think, I mean, it's greedy. It, it really, I mean, let's face it, Jets haven't won a Super Bowl in 50 years, but already we're looking at Sam Darnold and thinking, I don't want to bring in a coach who might only win one ring. Because we don't, Jets don't even have a ring yet, and we're already greedy. We're already looking at it like, I want a guy that's going to, a revolutionary offensive wizard so Sam Darnold can win three, four, five Super Bowl rings. And, and I get that. Yeah, that'd be, be great, wouldn't it? Nobody, there's nobody who doesn't want that. But on the, conserv- the conservative side, you look at McCarthy and think, he won't ruin our young guy. So that's the case for him. The case for him is that he's safe. The case against him, he didn't win enough as people would have liked in Green Bay, and it does look like, the, again, the league's passing him by a little bit as, as, it's, as the years have moved on. And for those of you who may have missed it, um, we'll get to this one next because it just broke a few minutes ago. On Friday, the Jets are planning on interviewing former Miami Dolphins head coach Adam Gase, who was fired just last week. Who, I mean, let's face it, Gase was was clearly, by the time he left, he was not a popular guy in the locker room. His own players didn't like him very much. That doesn't bother me, to be honest. Uh, but the no, the fact that he was able to get Brock Osweiler to resemble competent NFL quarterback, I mean, that's some pretty good work. But if his methods did get that locker room to a point where it became toxic and guys wanted out, I mean, we would have to know the reasons. I don't really want to hear that, well, the guys wanted out because he worked them too hard. It's, you know, And I'm not saying that's the case. I don't know what the case is. I just know that by the time he left, there were players demanding trades if he came back. So there were enough players in that locker room who were miserable that the Dolphins cut ties. But his offensive background makes him a guy that I understand why you look at him. But if he's going to cause, if he's going to fracture the locker room, then that's something the Jets have to avoid at this point. But again, that that story just broke a little while ago, and it looks like he's going to be interviewing with the Jets on Friday. So that's Gase and McCarthy, one of the big names, one of the more interesting names. And it's a, Jets Twitter is already having quite a bit of fun with it, thanks to Jamal Adams. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, former head coach at Texas Tech, was let go, relieved of his duties there, and he moved on to become the offensive coordinator at USC. And before coaching his first game, he's, getting, he's catching some NFL interviews. Now, Kingsbury is a guy who is very interesting in the sense that he's worked with some of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, he worked with Patrick Mahomes. He worked with Baker Mayfield. He worked with not a guy, obviously not a guy who's done anything in the league yet, but Jets backup Davis Webb. Um, so he's had, he's had some good players that he's developed quite nicely who have turned into good quarterbacks. The thing you worry about with Kingsbury is that he was never able to to win a whole lot of games, but the situation there is that the talent level at Texas Tech. I mean, it's not it's not like he was he was at a school where they were just monster recruiters and getting the top defensive players in the country. He just they lost shootouts all the time. 
and, and a guy like Kingsbury, and the same goes for McCarthy. You know, even having said McCarthy is the safe choice, if I'm the Jets, McCarthy, Kingsbury, you better be getting a top-notch defensive coordinator. I want Greg Williams. If Greg Williams doesn't get a head coaching gig, pay him to be your D.C. If he can work with Kingsbury. And then I'm not worried about the defense. Kingsbury hands it over to him as he puts his staff together and then get working with Sam Darnold on the offensive side. Another name that popped up, as a matter of fact, an interview that the Jets completed today. Oh, actually, let's, let's go back to Kingsbury real quick because this was a fun little story yesterday. So Jamal Adams, Jets safety, is heavily in recruiting mode. Said after the game the team had some talent, but they don't have enough dogs. Which, by the way, I don't get, you know, the agendas with people. You know, I know a lot of people don't like Mike McCagden, but I felt like I saw a lot of uh, a lot of people implying that Jamal Adams was ripping the Jets' front office, ripping Mike McCagden, saying the team lacked talent. And then I saw the interview, and he said, "Yeah, we have talent, but we need we basically we need better talent. We need some dogs," is the way he worded it. And I don't even as someone who supports Mike McCagden. I don't disagree with that. I don't think any Jets fan would disagree that this team needs to add better players. So, But to say that Jamal Adams is saying the team has no talent, just a misrepresentation, and people do it because it, 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 if it were true, it would support their position. But uh, Jamal Adams didn't say the team had no talent. He said the team had to get better talent, which, again, nobody would disagree with that. But anyway, he comes out, Jamal Adams, after news breaks, that the Jets are interviewing Cliff Kingsbury. He follows him on Instagram. And he and he fully supports the move, or that that was it. He followed him in, he followed him on Instagram. SNY TV tweeted out that Adams clearly had a favorite, or clearly supported the Kingsbury interview, the move. Uh, and Jamal Adams replied to it, said, "You know it." So he appeared to be on board. Didn't play for Kingsbury in college, but interesting thing is, did play against him. So <clears throat> it was only once. But of course, and uh, LSU won in a blowout. I think it was 56-27. But again, you're talking about talent levels. As a player, as a guy like Jamal Adams, what he knows is what he, his defensive teammates, his defensive coaches, what they talked about when they watched Texas Tech on film. And maybe he comes away from that game saying, "Damn, this guy, this guy runs some pretty creative stuff. These guys are, you know, these guys get the most out of what they have. And that's basically what you want. You want a coach who can get the most out of what he's got." So there were some people who had a problem with Jamal Adams, you know, perhaps overstepping his bounds as a player because he did it again tonight. He jumped on Twitter. This is a little bit off topic, but uh, basically said that, he, you know, Antonio Brown is having a hard time with, Jet Nation, with, uh, with Steelers Nation right now. And he's, he's, He's gone AWOL. He's feuded with Ben Roethlisberger. And Jamal Adams goes on Twitter and says, hey, man, New York City would welcome you. Which, And I wrote an article about this, and, I, I, and it was, literally was asking a question. Because um, if, if you look up the uh, the rules for tampering, because I was always under the impression, you know, players can't tamper. That's, that's You have to be an executive to tamper. And after rules say, um, any team employee or representative or with an affiliation with the team, which Jamal Adams fits that criteria. 
Um, if you try to lure a player from a team that is already under contract, that is considered tampering. So by rule, I can see where the league might look at that and say, either you are tampering or you're pretty damn close to tampering. So I, you know, I wasn't saying Jamal Adams was. I mean, by rule, he was. I'll say that, if, if I interpreted it right. Um, in which case, it would then be up to the Steelers to, make a, to file a complaint and for the league to decide if they're going to do something. So we'll see what happens, what comes of that. But anyway, moving, moving on from there. Um, basically, Jamal Adams supports the Kingsbury thing. I mean, innovative guy. There were, there were some people. I know one of uh, Eric Galco of Optimum Scouting is a guy we've had on this show a couple times, and he had said he was shocked that Kingsbury took the, the coordinator job at USC knowing he would have some NFL offers at the very least as a coordinator. I'd seen some other whispers leading up to that, or when he was fired saying, don't be surprised if he gets some NFL head coaching offers. And that looks like that's where he might be right now with the Jets. So highly respected offensive guy. He's gotten the most out of his talent at Texas Tech. Respected, obviously, by Jamal Adams. And, by the way, Marcus May um, seconded that. He, uh, he commented on, on, on Jamal Adams, you know it, to, to SNY. Uh, with the with a prayer emoji, as if he was praying for the move to happen. So, a couple of prominent guys, defensive guys who clearly respect Kingsbury and what he's done with his offense. Young guy, who I mean, he, he's going to come in for an interview, from what we understand. So I can't say I would dislike that move. I I, I think again, especially if you get him a Greg Williams type, get him a top-notch defensive coordinator. No, maybe if Vance Joseph doesn't get a head coaching job, maybe you bring him on as a defensive coordinator, something along those lines. But McCarthy's your safe bet. Kingsbury's a long, not a long shot, but a wild card, so to speak. Um, another one, Eric Bieniemy. Uh, for those of you who recall the old, uh, he had one of the better Chris Berman nicknames. Eric sleeping with Bieniemy. Um, former running back for the Chargers, has been a running backs coach for four years with the Kansas City Chiefs. And this year was elevated to offensive coordinator. Now here's here's the conundrum with Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy is on Andy Reid's staff. Andy Reid is a guy that if if you've got to read the tea leaves or what, what the things you hear about Reid, he he likes calling his plays. He's 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 a guy who is probably letting his assistants call plays and picking his picking his shots. I don't think Eric Bieniemy is an every down play caller, or I don't think he has been an every down play caller. So, so in some aspects, that's worrying. But where it's not worrying is when you look at the fact that Matt Nagy and Doug Peterson were also guys who worked under Andy Reid and probably didn't do any more play calling than Eric Bieniemy did, and those guys are doing fantastic. So just from just from the aspect of the coaching tree, the guys who have had success after working under Andy Reid, you want Eric Bieniemy. But there's still the fact that you go, how many how many of these guys are going to hit with with a year of part time play calling experience? That's what makes it scary. So I wouldn't hate the move. I, I would be worried, but I would I would. I would the thing that would help me sleep at night is that the other guys that come out of that out of that program, out of you know, Andy Reid's coaching tree, have done a fantastic job. So it wouldn't wouldn't be a, a move that I would I would dislike. 
but I, it would cautiously optimistic would be the the right term there for Eric Bieniemy. So that's another one, another name, and this is one I'm not going to lie to you. Todd Monken, Bucks offensive coordinator from the season. I didn't know a damn thing about him. I I I do know that early in the season. When Ryan Fitzpatrick threw like nine touchdowns in his first six quarters of football, I thought, geez, whoever this is, man, they are dialing up a lot of deep balls. And I liked it. It was an aggressive, attacking downfield offense that was making Ryan Fitzpatrick look like a damn all-pro. Of course, it fizzled out. But I, I like I liked what we saw from Tampa Bay this year. Um, of course, once his name surfaced, I started doing a little homework on him. Um, seems to be respected by the media. Straight shooter tells it like it is. They seem to like him. And really, uh, again, another guy who has done good work with quarterbacks. And that's to me that that's what that's what it's got to be right now. That's why you like the enemy. You know, again, even even with with a year of part time experience being the thing that scares you off, you look at the results they had in Kansas City this year. You look at what Kingsbury's done or what the quarterbacks. He has worked with what they've become, and Monken fits that 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 mold. Even Gase, I saw someone tweet the other day, and I'll tell you what, <laughs> I agree with this. I don't want Adam Gase, but if Adam Gase tells me that Peyton Manning is going to be his coordinator, then I then I'd like Adam Gase. They they have a pretty good relationship. Those guys, Gase worked with Manning in Denver. Manning came out to Miami and worked with uh, the Dolphins for a couple of days when Gase took that job. So uh, that's the one caveat with Adam Gase. That's uh, the only caveat for him. And the last name that we've been hearing is Dallas Cowboys passing game coordinator slash defensive backs coach Chris Richard, who I believe also had an interview with the Bucks um, and one or two others. So, so a lot of these names are, are are heating up. You know, there are seven or eight jobs available. So people are, you know. Names are flying around left and right. Who's going where? Who's interviewing? Who's interviewing with who? And uh, this is a name that's that's popped up. I've seen a couple different times now. And Chris Richards is basically a guy who was with the Seahawks and was a big part of putting together the Legion of Boom, which obviously gets him quite a bit of credibility. And yes, he is Dallas's passing game coordinator, but I don't. I don't think you go after a defensive guy. You can't. You can't. I mean, if he's a passing game coordinator, obviously he's doing some work on the offensive side of the ball. But some, something about that hire is one of those, honestly, I'd have no idea what to think of it. You'd be stupid to, to love it or hate it because it's almost just like a wash. It's almost a wash. Some experience on the offensive side, some experience on the defensive side where he's been – Obviously, you know, part of one of the great secondaries the league's ever seen, which you would like for a guy who's coming in to work with Jamal Adams and Marcus May. But there's just something about you feel like this hire has to be, it has to be someone who has worked with and developed quarterbacks. And I'm talking offensive coordinator over a period of time with young quarterbacks or a QB coach who's worked over a period of time with young quarterbacks or a guy who's one with a, a head coach, you know, again, a guy like McCarthy who, you know, I don't even know where I would put him on my list. 
I really don't. It's just uh, something with something with McCarthy just rubs me the wrong way. But bringing him in, kicking the tires, you know, fair enough. You want to do that, go right ahead. But but I'm really hoping this is a young, young, innovative offensive guy. That's that's where the Jets need to be right now. So we will see where the search takes the Jets next. As I said, Bietemi is in the books. Gase is due to come in on Friday. And I'm not sure that the Jets were, from, from what I understand, in terms of Chris Richards' status, were granted permission by the Cowboys to interview him, but uh, the Cowboys are getting ready for a playoff game. So that kind of complicates things a little bit. So we'll see what happens there. But those are the names. Kingsbury, Bienemy, McCarthy, Monken, Richard, Gase. Adams throws his hat in the ring behind Kingsbury. Jamal Adams, that is, along with Marcus May. And so the Jets clearly... You know, I, I like, for the most part, you know, there's not a name on there I look at that I don't like. If I had to pick one, it would be Richard because of the, the defensive experience, the defensive uh, being from, on the defensive side of the ball, or that being what he's known for. And I said, you know, I tweeted out earlier, and, you know, maybe it's just time to forget about it, but, you know, when, when you can get these guys who have worked well with quarterbacks and, run stable programs. Uh, you know, I tweeted earlier, do we, do we know for sure? We absolutely positive that David Shaw doesn't want to leave Stanford. But, I mean, that must be the case because you just don't hear his name. If he was, if he was willing to leave Stanford, you'd think he'd be uh, quite the commodity. But with all these openings coming up and him being as respected as he is, you just don't hear about it. Another name that popped up, actually wanted to mention this one, um, didn't didn't mention it on the, mainly with, with this list because he's not a guy who's been rumored for the Jets to have interest. But Matt Rule, who is a guy I'm um, I'm a little bit familiar with him from my time living in the uh, Philly area while he was at Temple. Heard him quite a bit on the radio, and just always came across as just a guy's guy type of coach. Uh, very very respected by his players. Got results, you know, ten wins two years in a row at Temple. No one had ever done that before. So he comes across as a great leader. Players love him. Honest guy. Players know where they stand with him. And uh, he's had a lot of success at programs that haven't. So Matt Rule's the guy. I would have nothing against that at all. But I think that speculation was largely based on Manish Mehta just tweeting out, you know, Matt Rule's a guy to keep an eye on. Um, What he means by that, you know, he's not citing anyone. He's not going with a source. No one's telling him it's going to happen. But, uh, Maybe it's Manish's two cents. Either way, I would be fully, fully on board with that because, again, um, really liked what I heard and saw out of his teams during my time uh, when I lived in that area, in the Philly area, when Matt Rule was out there. So so that's where the head coaching search stands right now. We don't know who it's going to be, but we know that uh, we know there's some good names on that list, some respected names. And I think it's, I think it's an exciting time right now for Jets fans, because things are things are coming together quite nicely, are they not? Did you did you happen to see University of Kentucky linebacker Josh Allen yesterday? 
was it Citrus Bowl, I believe, with whatever bowl. He went out there, had a multi-sack game, and I think I heard one of the broadcasters say that they wouldn't be shocked if he was the number one pick in the draft. Now, that's saying a lot when you consider consider the fact that Nick Bosa is the consensus top guy right now. Hey, listen, Sam Darnold was the consensus top guy last year, right? And we saw what happened there. But as it stands now, what the Jets really needed, if the Jets wanted to really make out in this draft and position themselves for the future, the one of the best scenarios for them was for for them to end up with the second pick because they weren't going to land at one. But they, the Jets need to be in a position where they can get a damn good player or where somebody who needs a quarterback is willing to trade up. And when you see a guy emerging, <clears throat> you see a guy emerging the way Allen is right now, you could see Bosa go one, Allen go two, and then a team like the Jaguars or the Giants – Desperate for a quarterback, maybe they make a move up to three. And if they don't, if, if let's say the Jags or the Giants get desperate and they trade up to two so they can take a quarterback there, that means Allen or Bosa, somebody, whoever's number one or two on the Jets' board could fall to three, or the Jets can move from three to seven or three to eight and add some more picks. And I wouldn't complain about either of those scenarios. We're going to go to the phones real quick right now. We have a caller. Call you on Jet Nation Radio. What do you got for us? Glenn, Happy New Year. It's Rich. Hey, Rich. How we doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing I'm doing very well. Uh, 2018 is over. I felt like I was a continuous nightmare with this Jet season. Uh, you know, I kept on supporting the team, obviously, but, you know, 2018 is over. Moves have been made, and just been listening to your comments. As far as coaching staffs are concerned, I'm not, you know, too keen about, you know, staffing and stuff. But that's the reason why I call because, in my opinion, um, you have to start out with, you know, with the comment that was made about talent on this team. And we know we got a couple of good players. We got our quarterback. You know, we got a couple of good receivers. We got a tight end that uh, was tearing it up. Uh, a couple of safeties back there. I don't think we got the cornerbacks that we need. We definitely need a pass rusher, but, you know, we got some pieces. And mm-hmm. so um, how how quickly uh, are the Jets in the pressure here to to hire a coach here so they can bring in uh, – because I'm a firm believer in, you know, if, if you look at, you know, the, the Patriots or whatever and, and the system that they have or whatever, you know, they just bring people in that fits a system or whatever. And I, I strongly – I think Tom Brady is a good quarterback, but I don't think he would do well anywhere else other than the system that he's in. And so I believe that, you know, you have to have bring a coach in that's going to have a system or whatever that, that – and, and bring in the talent and the players that's going to really make the system work. And so how quickly are the Jets needing to bring a coach in so they can bring in the people, draft, free agency, and so forth to – to get us to get the right players in for the system that they want to do. Well, I mean, are, are you saying how quickly do they have to get a coach? Well, I mean, you want to get it done as soon as possible because 
let's face it, you know, whenever your coach, whenever you hire your new coach, he's got to start assembling his staff, and his his staff is going to start working with the the folks that are already in place, the Mike McCagnans and the the Heimerdingers of the world, and they have to start getting on the same page as the draft approaches, and, and this stuff all happens really fast, and you know, before you know it, the draft comes, the draft is over, and it's time for rookie minicamp. So the NFL, I mean, it's it's really every every month or two. There's sort of a landmark date where there's something going on, and you want to have everything ready to roll when things start happening. So, and and that's why everybody's scrambling. You know, there's seven vacancies, and everybody's doing their interviews right now. You, you know, you don't want to sit back and let your top guy get snatched up by another team. I think uh, I think Kingsbury is a guy that the Jets. I think they do really like the guy. I think you know, as, as I said earlier, someone someone shot out a really interesting tweet that the Jets have had. Uh, you know, of course, they have Davis Webb, who worked with him. They had, when the Jets traded up to three, their expectation at the time, it's been reported, and I believe it because it makes sense, was that Baker Mayfield would be the quarterback there at three, and that's who they thought they would be getting. And uh, they, the Jets just, McCagnan seems to respect the work he's done, and he likes the quarterbacks that he has. And I think that Kingsbury is a guy who could end up with this job. But wh- whoever it's going to be. You can't sit back while the top candidates get that get hired, and uh, and then get left holding the bag, so to speak. And it, it doesn't always work out. I mean, listen, that's how they ended up with Todd Bowles. Um, at the time that the Jets were doing their conducting their search, Dan Quinn was their number one choice. Dan Quinn was the guy the Jets wanted. Todd Bowles was their number two. But they were worried because Dan Quinn was set to interview for Atlanta, um, and sent somewhere else. And as Bowles was getting ready to leave for Atlanta. The Jets said, what if we let this guy sign with Atlanta and Dan Quinn goes elsewhere, then we get nobody. So the Jets kind of said, we'd rather get our second guy than our first guy. Because if you, if you remember, Dan Quinn was still with Seattle at the time. They were deep in the playoffs. So they were kind of yeah, hamstrung with how often they could interview him. So they thought, what if Bowles signs while we wait for Seattle to play and then Quinn decides he doesn't want the job and Bowles signs with Atlanta in the meantime. So... um it, it kind of bit the Jets in that sense, but you still have to go with who you believe who you believe the best guy is. So they have to get somebody here in place and uh, and get ready to roll forward to the draft and and free agency, of course. Uh, how how much of a role is he gonna? I mean, I understand I understand what you said earlier as far as you know getting somebody that that's gonna develop the quarterback, and and, and I, I you know I you know I I agree with that. You don't want to. Yeah, I mean this this is this has been a long time coming for us as far as the Jets is concerned. Um I mean you have to consider the other folks that you have on on the team. And so how how much of a I I wanna say out of all the quarterbacks that I mean all the excuse me, all the coaches that that, that you mentioned, um I really I really like the guy from Kansas City. I understand what you said as far as play calling is concerned, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I understand that the, the the success that some some of the other guys um, have had coming off come off uh, Andy Reid. I'm pretty sure this this gentleman has learned quite a bit on the on the Reid and his system and all that stuff. So, I, I mean, I guess my question is, wouldn't you uh, consider wouldn't the Jets consider to make sure that that they have a system in play on both sides of the ball with the people that they have on the team now? How much more well, is that playing, Julian? Well, not as much as you. I, I think the the main thing, and it, it, it kind of it, again, it's another thing that you see bite teams in the ass all the time. Is 
you, you, you have to go out and get who you believe is the best guy. That, I mean, that's your job. But a lot of times the best guy comes in and looks at the roster and goes, okay, well, you guys don't have what I need to do what I want. You know, a perfect example of that is Eric Mangini. They hired Eric Mangini right after they drafted Dwayne Robertson high in the first round. And Mangini wanted to run a 3-4. And so he's, he's sending a nose tackle out there every day who's 35, 45 pounds underweight for the position. And that's one reason I always like Dwayne Robinson. Dwayne Robinson. Dwayne, sorry, Robertson. He, he, wasn't a, he was obviously a bust. But, man, Eric Mangini sent that guy out there to get his ass kicked every week. Like, everyone else that played his position in the NFL was 350 pounds. Robertson was like 310, right. 315. And he went out there and played his ass off. So I always liked that about him. But you, you have to go out and get the guy you believe can get it done. And right now, you know, the, the best thing the Jets have going, and it's, you know, as everybody's talking about, is the fact that they can, they can say, we've got, we've got the quarterback. He can throw from the pocket. He can throw outside the pocket. It's not just that, that Donald is young and he's good. He can do so many different things. So no matter what, what scheme you want to employ offensively, he's probably going to be able to do it. He can run. You know, you don't want him out there, you know, scrambling all over the place and getting himself beat up. But if you want to, if you want to let him use his legs, he can do that. In terms of the defense, you know, like I said earlier, it's got to be you got to bring in a top-notch coordinator. It's kind of like when you had Rex. You know, Rex Ryan's teams would have been a lot better if he had a better offensive coordinator. Um, he didn't have, you know, he had right. some bad ones. And it, it, if you bring in a, a guy like Bieniemy, yeah, I, I hate to keep saying the name Greg Williams, but I feel like he has done such a good job, and he's a guy who might be available. That he's the, he's the name I keep coming back to when I think who comes in to run your defense. Because, you know, Williams is a veteran guy who's done it really well for a long time in a lot of spots. So I feel like you can just turn the defense over to him and say, hey, man, you, you go do your thing. Um, and we're going we're gonna to go ahead and get Sam Donald taken care of. And, and that's – Donald is the biggest draw they have. This high draft pick that could become, you know, higher or, – or, sorry, could become more picks if they trade down. Um, the Jets are in a great spot. And, you know, that you get you're always going to have the, the negative – followers, the people who, who follow this team but don't really root for the team and they have a negative thing to say about everything. I, I don't care how you paint it. This is an attractive job right now. And just because Matt Campbell or whatever his name is in Iowa State turned it down, just because one guy wasn't ready to leave college yet, doesn't mean this isn't a job that any co- huge market, huge market, biggest media market in the country. You know, uh, tons of cap space. I mean, it's been said a million times. Tons of cap space, third pick, young quarterback, Everything you could want as a GM. If you're looking to become a head coach and someone says, what's your perfect scenario, this is pretty much – other than maybe you would want the number one pick. But you'd say, give me, give me a big audience, give me $100 million, and give me, you know, give me a top pick and a, and, a, and a quarterback in place. It doesn't get better than that. I, I, I agree with what you're saying, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because I, I don't want to take a lot of your time, but – um, I was just gonna, you know, go into that into that aspect of. I I, I know it's an attractive place. We got a quarterback, we got a cast base, we got a a, a a GM that I that I back, and I I thought that he he's done he's doing a fairly decent job. I, you know, as far as talent, I gotta question it a little bit. But in the first round, he's doing pretty good. He had Williams, he had Jamal Adams, he got he did the the great trade up to get Donald was was awesome. I know Donald just fell in our lap, but I. I think would have gone, you know, either him or Baker Mayfield. I would have been pretty much happy with whatever. I'm glad that we got Donald. But anyway, that being said, free agency wise, um, 
you know, I understand some players would just go chase the money or whatever, and but we spent money on, you know, the, the DB last year or whatever, and he really had a, a pretty bad year this year. Um, you know, our, our, you know, the type of players that we bring in, I agree what Jamal Adams is saying. You know, we want people who are hungry. We want people who are who plays like him, man. I mean, that guy's got a motor, man. And I, I love Jamal, man. I, I love Jamal. I, I, I back everything he says or whatever. And, and, you know, we want dogs, man. We want guys that are just going to ball. And so, I mean, are we going to get those type of people who want to come to the Jets? Well, I mean, you know, that's it. That, that's what remains to be seen. The problem is that – and it's no different than a guy you draft who you end up paying. Um, you know, whether whether you give a, a guy a big contract through free agency or if it's a guy you draft and develops and, you know, his, his contract expires and you give him a big deal, there's no – I mean, sometimes, there, sometimes you get a guy where there's indicators. But by and large, nobody, know, nobody knows how these guys are going to react when they get $40 million deposited into their bank account. I mean, you got a guy right now in Pittsburgh, Antonio Brown, unhappy as can be, and he's making $21 million a year. And he's like, he's, he's going AWOL. Like, do you, the Steelers are one of the most respected organizations in the NFL with an incredible history. You would think that front office, you know, would have their act together, and they hand $21 million a year to a guy who now doesn't want to show up to practice or games. You, you, you can't predict it. You can't. I wish we could. No, yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know we talked about the Mo Wilkerson thing a lot. I, I kind of absolved the Jets of that because he was such a solid citizen leading up to getting that contract. But then once it leaked that there was some of that stuff going on behind the scenes, I thought, well, the Jets aren't as innocent in this as I thought. But at the same time, as I said at the time, and I've stuck with it, the Jets were in a tough spot with Mo Wilkerson because when you have a guy who, I mean, people forget he was rated a top 50 player by his peers. No, that's not an official stat or an award, but it means something. And the numbers were there. The respect from his peers was there. He looked like one of the best players in the NFL. And if you let that guy walk and he keeps playing that way, that's the type of stuff that gets you fired. So you can at least yeah. you have the leg to stand on to say, look, we gave him the deal. He was a double-digit sack guy, stuffed the run well. He could do everything. And he just he got his money and decided to take a nap. You can't predict these things. So it'd, it'd be fantastic if we could. You know, Demarcus Lawrence with Dallas, edge rushers like that don't hit free agency. That doesn't happen. But I'll tell you what, you look at the Dallas Cowboys, and they, they, have, a, they have a problem that most teams would like to have right now. They've got, they've got seven or eight prime players right now that they have to re-sign over the next two years, and they have about $54 million in cap space. Put it this way. They're sitting on 54 million cap space next year. They need to re-sign Dak Prescott, who they've already approached about an extension. They want to re-sign Amari Cooper, and you know they're going to pay him because they gave up a one to get him, and he's played up to that level. Um, and, and Byron Jones, I believe, is due to hit free agency. Those three guys alone would make 50 million or near it, and they only have 20 guys under contract after next year. So, a guy like Lawrence, they might look to do a tag and trade. I w- I, someone asked me today, I was talking to somebody about it, I, I would do a swap with the swap first-round picks. Give me Lawrence and your 20-whatever-th pick for the number three. Now, now I'm adding a premier, a premier pass rusher, and then I can use that pick in the 20s and maybe get a, you know, the best center in the draft or the best left tackle on the board or the best receiver on the board, Any, whatever direction you decide to go. But you're addressing a prime position, and you're still keeping a first-round pick, obviously a much later pick, 
But if you're going to ask me, would you rather have a three and a gaping hole at a pass rusher or an elite pass rusher and the 25th, 26th pick, I take the elite pass rusher with the 26th pick or whatever, wherever Dallas is going to end up. So who knows what's going to happen in free agency. There's no way of predicting these things. Again, there, there might be indicators. You know, guys have bad habits. You can, you know, pick up on that. But sometimes, listen, $40 million in your bank account is going to change a lot of people's approach to life. And unfortunately, that happens in the NFL <laughs> all too often. You know, Albert Hainsworth comes to mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. The guy was completely yeah, unblockable. Right. Dan Snyder handed him $80 million, yeah. and he was literally, literally laying down on the field during plays. So, yeah. But then you, I things. mean, you have Khalil Mack. I mean, look at Khalil Mack. I mean, he's still living up to, to his billing, even though Sorry, he got that? the big paycheck. Khalil Mack. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's you, you just you don't know, you know. Some guys, it's I, it, you know, the guy I always point to is J.J. Watt. You know what I mean? This guy, in a perfect world, everyone in the league would play as hard as him on every play, and you would never have to worry about whether or not you were getting your money's worth. But sometimes you just yeah, totally. You hand the guy a check, and he uh, and he and he mails it in, you know. Uh, and you know that's why the rookie wage scale was such a such a good thing. Look, I'll never forget that story with Jamarcus Russell, you know, where the Raiders sent him home with blank tapes and told him to watch film and brought him in the next day and asked him questions about it, and he was answering the questions. They sent him home with blank videotapes. He didn't even watch them, and he just came in and made up answers to the questions. I mean, when that happens, you know you've got a problem. But you think they would have drafted yeah. him if they'd known that? So, yeah, whether it's the draft or free agency, you just don't know what's going to happen to a guy when he gets a bunch of money. Um, you just hope that he's got enough pride or passion that they're going to keep playing, again, the way Khalil Mack has. And the way a lot of guys do, it doesn't happen with every guy. But it sure as hell feels like it sometimes with the Jets, doesn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, too, you know, more too often than not or whatever. But, um, you know, I, 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 again, I'm excited, looking forward to it. I, I know that we got some great guys playing or whatever um, on this team. It's, it's not like we're, it's a total wash. We've, we got some talent. We got – you know we got pieces, and we need a lot more. And but you know we're, we're we're I think we're trending in the right direction. Hopefully, or whatever, we just got to get that coach and, and and just you know start bringing in more people in here. And then we'll yeah, see. absolutely. And, you know, like I said a couple times with the Mike with the Mike McCagnan discussion that I think Darnold alone buys him another year, if not two, just because as we've seen so many times throughout the league, when you get that elite quarterback, the other fifty-two guys all of a sudden look better. And I want to see a lot of these picks with a better coaching staff. But thanks so much for calling in tonight. Yeah, I appreciate it, Glenn. Um Again, Happy New Year. Uh, I, I'm, um, you, you're still planning to continue to do the show during the offseason, uh, or are you just guys going to take a break? Uh, that's the plan to do it through the offseason. Last, last week, I apologize to that for, uh, to our listeners. I, uh, as, as you know, it's the holidays. I went down with the wife to visit the in-laws for the week planned on doing the show, was setting up my computer to do the show, and realized I left my damn mic um, at home two hours from my house. So uh, that's why there was no show last week. But, uh, uh, you, yeah, you, so the plan is to do it. So you, you don't, Sorry? You don't need to come up with excuses. I appreciate everything you're doing. And, and uh, you know, like, again, I, I, I truly enjoy it. So you're doing a great job and keep hey, it up. So. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. No problem, Glenn. Have a good one. All right, take care. So, yeah, listen, you know, like I said, 
this team is, you know, undoubtedly heading in the right direction. One thing that, that people keep talking about with the talent level, um, and as I've said, you know, you have to be crazy to say that they don't have to add some talent. But uh, I was working on an article yesterday and uh, kind of preview it a little bit here and talk about this. The fact that this team, I, I keep hearing the term, Number one receiver used. We need a number one receiver. Why don't we have a number one? We're not going to do anything without a number one. And I'll tell you what, when it comes to number one receivers, first of all, a lot of it is how you define a number one receiver. What is a number one receiver? A guy who can run every route, catch every ball, beat any coverage. And then I ask, how many guys legitimately in the NFL right now can do that? Four, five, I mean, really, Antonio Brown, we talked about him. Julio Jones, he's another one. DeAndre Hopkins, he's another one. See, I I get it. I, I get what a number one receiver is. But my thing is, how many are there? And not, not just how many are there. Even if, let's, let's say there's ten. Let's say there's ten guys who can beat any coverage, any guy, run any route, catch everything that comes their way. How many teams have needed those guys, in recent history anyway? How many teams have been able to win a Super Bowl without having a guy like that? Look at last year, Super Bowl champion Eagles. Who's their top receiver? Alshon Jeffrey? Is Alshon Jeffrey a number one? Is he the guy that comes to mind when you say the Jets? If you say to me the Jets need a number one receiver, and I tell you, don't worry about it, Mike McCagney just traded for Alshon Jeffrey. Are you going to say, oh, well, there we go? And prayers are answered. No, you're probably going to say, oh, really, Alshon Jeffrey? Nice player, good player, above average player, number one receiver? Not really. And who won before the year before that? The Pats, right? They have a smattering Julian Edelman. I mean, what does Julian Edelman do? He runs underneath. He runs rub routes. Someone else bumps the defender off of him. He catches the ball and, and gets some yak. He's a good player, but is he a guy you look at and say he can run every single route, beat every single coverage? No. He's a guy who runs underneath rub routes, catches short passes, and picks up some yards after the catch. The year before that, Denver Broncos, Demarius Thomas. Demarius Thomas is a really good player for a few years. I don't know that I put him in that class with Julio Jones, Antonio Brown, you know, T.O., those guys. He's not in that class. Good player. Year before that, Patriots again, Edelman again. And, of course, they have Gronk, which changes the dynamic. But, again, I'm continually told we've got to add a number one wide receiver. Year before that, Seattle, Doug Baldwin. Is Doug Baldwin a number one receiver? Is he that guy? If the Jets traded for Doug Baldwin tomorrow, would you feel like, yeah, we got our number one? Year before that, Baltimore Ravens. And I, I want to point this one out. Actually, we're going to go to the year before that, 12, 2012, the Giants. That was the year Victor Cruz had like 1,500 yards receiving. So, yeah. But I mean, he was a I mean, kind of what he, he could do. He could beat you so many ways. 
let's just give credit. And, and the Keem Knicks had a really nice year for them that season too. So Cruz and Knicks, that's that's you, you could make a case there for the way Cruz played again, fifteen hundred yards receiving. But the year before that, Baltimore Ravens won the Super Bowl. Anquan Bolden, who was way up there in years, he wasn't the player he was in his prime. He was a good, he was a, an above average receiver. And Torrey Smith. I would say that for what they were at that point in their careers, that almost compares well to Quincy Noon or Robbie Anderson. N- neither of them were putting up 13, 14, 1,500 yards. You know, they were probably seven, 800-yard guys, which Anderson and Anunu have been. And I'm not even saying they're my, – my point, my point here, the point that I'm making, is I keep hearing the Jets have to have a number one receiver if they want to win. But all these teams that are winning, well, the majority of them, don't have, don't have what I would define as a number one receiver. So it may come down to how you define it. I mean, everyone technically has a number one receiver. The guy who gets, the guy who gets the most catches. That's your, he might suck, but he's your number one guy. Is that a number one receiver? No. So what's the criteria for a number one receiver? And how many of the last ten Super Bowl winners had one of those? And then, and then I then I start thinking back to some of the best receivers I've seen in my life, or even just in the last ten, fifteen, twenty years. Right, of course, Jerry Rice, three Super Bowls, we all know about him. But like recent Hall of Fame guys, or guys that are going to be going to the Hall of Fame at some point, T.O., Randy Moss, Chad Ochocinco, Julio Jones, right now, Megatron, Antonio Brown, all those guys. You know how many rings those guys have combined? Zero. None. Antonio Brown, T.O., Randy Moss, Ocho Cinco, Julio Jones, Megatron. Zero. Rings. And you know what people are going to tell me? Oh, but they went to Super Bowls. They, they went. They almost won. They didn't win because the coordinator or the teammate or the quarterback, but it was somebody else's fault. I, listen, all I ever hear when I talk about players and schemes and coaches, all anyone ever tells me, it's all about the rings, man. I don't want, I don't want to hear excuses. The ring's a thing. You get the ring or it doesn't matter. No one, no one wants to hear any of that other stuff. It doesn't matter. Okay, so if nobody wants to hear about that other stuff, and if none of that other stuff matters, you're telling me the Jets got to have a number one. And when I think of the five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten best number ones of the last 10, 15 years, most of them don't have rings. And even with the examples I was given, you know, Victor Cruz, he would, you could say he was the number one that year, but the injuries, he fizzled out. You know, when people say the Jets need to get a number one receiver, I know they're not saying they need to get a guy who has one or two big years. Talk about a consistent threat. Again, a Julio Jones, a Randy Moss, a Megatron. This is what you're saying when you want a number one. DeAndre Hopkins, how long has he been in the league? Now, I get it. He's played on bad teams. So how much, how much of a difference has he made? Now, these guys might win rings one day. I get it. But all this talk about this team isn't complete or ready to compete till they get a number one receiver. And what I've said all along, get some depth. Get some depth. You have four or five guys out there who are a threat to catch the ball. Team's got team's to go out there and they can't just focus on one guy because they know he's the guy. 
You got to spread it. Look, look at the Patriots. Edelman, Hogan, um, who's Amendola. Any, any of those guys scare you on their own, on their, you know, by themselves? No. And not even using them as an example, because and, and I hate when the Patriots get used in a, as an example, because there's only one New England Patriots. And whether you want to talk about the cheating or the whatever, it doesn't matter. They do what they do. They win games. They win rings. They had Moss for a year and almost won a Super Bowl. They had them for a couple of years, but but they didn't win a Super Bowl. They won Super Bowls when they didn't have him. When they did have him, they didn't win a Super Bowl. So you tell me. You tell me why it's so imperative that this team gets a number one receiver when I can point to the elite receivers throughout the league over the past decade plus, and not not many of them have a ring to show for it. And again, a lot of it depends on what your criteria is for a number one receiver. But to me, when I think of number one receivers, I think of Julio Jones. I think of Randy Moss. I think of T.O. I think of Antonio Brown. All those guys. I know they don't have rings, but if you're telling me I can pick one receiver, I'm probably taking one of those guys. But my whole point is, you get Herndon in the draft. He plays great as a rookie. Keep him trending in the right direction. Robbie Anderson, we saw what he did down the stretch when he finally got involved in the offense. Looked phenomenal. Quincy Noon, well, yes, Quincy Noon was nicked up. He did miss the last couple games. I feel like he would have played if those games mattered. I think he was he was limited and he was on the injury report. I think the Jets just ruled him out because they said, why the hell bother? Why bother? They said, let's give Deontay Burnett some reps and see what happens. What do you know? Deontay Burnett knows how to catch the damn football. Who would have thunk that the guy who has more experience with Sam Darnold than anyone in that damn locker room would have some chemistry? What a revelation. How was this guy not playing sooner? How was Deontay Burnett on the bench all damn year? On a team that couldn't score a point at times. I mean, really, when they were at their worst, was when they count. But let's let's look at this thing. You're trying to develop a young quarterback. You have a guy on the roster who he's got more comfort with than anyone else in the damn NFL. And you sit him every friggin' week. Finally, week 17 rolls around. A couple of your receivers are hurt. Someone twists your arm, basically. You have to play him. Five catches, 74 yards. And Pro Football Focus, I think, fifth-rated receiver in the NFL in the week for guys with at least four or five targets. It's almost like if you put players on the field to find out if they can play, good things happen. Derek Jones, anyone? How many times did I come on this show and say, when is he going to play? How many times did I tweet, when is he going to play? How many times did I talk about how great he looked in training camp and ask why isn't he playing? I'm an idiot blogger fan guy who just blurts stuff out. But even I knew looking at the guy, the athletic ability, the frame, the hands. I'm like, this guy, maybe he goes out there, you know what, and goes against some better receivers, and they just spin him around. Corner post, boom, maybe he falls on his ass. But let's put him out there and see. Put him out there, what did he do? 
one of PFF's highest graded players in the NFL last week, especially in coverage. I think he was 89.9, fourth or fifth in the NFL. These two guys have been sitting on their asses on the bench all damn year, especially Jones wasn't even active. At least Burnett had some games where he was active. He had a game earlier in the year, Burnett, four or five catches, 60 yards. Todd Bowles went, you know what, that was so good, I'm going to set this guy down for the next nine weeks, however many weeks, whatever it was. So it's crazy. And this is what I've been saying for most of the year. And it's part of the reason I still stand behind Mike McCagnin, is that I believe there are players on this roster who are better than what we have seen. But we haven't seen it because Todd Bowles hasn't played them. And I'm not putting anyone in the damn Hall of Fame because I love how everyone jumps to that. I love the number of times I say a single positive word about somebody. Like, oh, well, Trenton Cannon is fast. There's always going to be some idiot. Oh, you put him in Canton. You put him in the Hall of Famer, right? You make his bust now. Trenton Cannon, the Hall of Famer. Cannon to Canton. No, you moron. I'm saying some of these players have done some things on the field in practice or in preseason or in games that I've looked at and said, that guy, that guy can do some things. Perry Nickerson against the Colts made what might have been the best interception of the year for the Jets. Now the refs blew the call, so it wasn't. But it was a damn good play. It was a play you certainly would never see from Buster Screen. Perry Nickerson spent the rest of the year on the bench. Jordan Leggett. Jordan Leggett gets targeted like once every two weeks. And as long as the ball's on target, he's made the catch. Made a couple tough catches. I counted two drops on the year, if you want to call them drops. I mean, when, one of them was dropping to your knees and sliding across the turf. The ball hit his leg and, and, and fell to the ground. And the other one was a pass that was behind him. He spun around, got a hand on it, but the ball was behind him. It, was just, it wasn't a – I mean, you could say it was catchable if, you know, if everyone was Odell Beckham. But Leggett, to me, blocked better than anyone expected and caught the ball when it was on target. And he was a great receiver in college, great receiving tight end in college. Want to see more of the guy. Somebody always, oh, no late-round players, no late-round picks, no mid-round picks, no mid-round players. I'm really hoping that with this new staff that that narrative changes and uh, somebody gets these guys on the field and gives them a chance to play. Because Leggett's a guy I'm not giving up on. Listen, the O-line has to get better at run blocking. It's got to be fixed. And pass blocking. But, but by the way, for those of you who listen to the show regularly, uh, you may know I took quite a bit of heat. Not that I mind, but I took quite a bit of heat early in the year for saying that I thought this team, this O-line, would be a middle-of-the-pack O-line when it came to protecting Sam Darnold. I think I may have mentioned this a few weeks ago because people keep saying, what about the run game? What about the run game? I give people enough credit to understand that when I, when I was on here saying this is going to be a middle-of-the-pack O-line and that's why Darnold will be healthy, I was, of course, referring to pass protection because I, I've been watching football for 30-some years. I don't recall a quarterback taking a big hit on a running play uh, unless he was venturing out as a blocker. So my whole point this year was that this team, the O-line will be a middle-of-the-pack O-line, which will be good enough to keep Sam Darnold healthy. Now, yes, Sam Darnold did get hurt. Yes, it was because of the O-line. 
but that was because the head coach wouldn't pull out the center who was snapping the ball into the third deck. So if Todd Bowles had pulled Spencer Long weeks before, when many people said he should, um, that injury would not have happened. But what we saw um, was an O-line that was, in fact, in terms of pass blocking, middle of the pack, felt worse because when you have a franchise quarterback for the first time in 50 years, you have a bit of a panic attack every time he's under pressure. But the numbers show it. Uh, the film shows it. Pro Football Focus rated the Jets in their, their pass block efficiency. Now, the way Pro Football Focus does a pass block efficiency, they take into consideration sacks, hits, and hurries. So every time Sam Donald has to use his legs to get the hell away from pressure and throw the ball, that's taken into account. Because people keep saying to me, oh, in the middle of the pack, because Donald's mobile. Donald can run for his life and get away. Yes, that counts as a pressure. That's taken into account. So uh, in terms of pass blocking efficiency, the Jets' offensive line per PFF this year ranked 15th in the NFL, 15. Not 32nd, 31st, 30th, 29th, where everybody, well, where many people told me they would rank. This was not the worst pass blocking line in the NFL by a long shot. However, the run blocking was atrocious. It needs to get better. Upgrades need to be made. They need a center. You want to bring Spencer Long back to audition at left guard with the ability to cut him with no cap hit? I'm fine with that. Honestly, when, again, in looking at how bad offensive lines are around the NFL, um, and especially once you start getting to the depth, I would happily keep Spencer Long on board at $6 million, um, which is a lot for a backup. But if he can be my backup center slash left guard, I can live with that because there are just so many. As I said, as be- I mean, think about this. If you're one of these people – who thought this was the worst offensive line in the NFL? They ranked 15 out of 32. So there was a whole lot of teams whose quarterbacks got hit, hurried, and sacked more often than Sam Donald did, a greater percentage of the time. So keep that in mind, that this, this team was 15th in the NFL. So there's a lot of bad O-lines out there. Like, real, watch Arizona. And tell me this Jets O-line is bad. I mean, it is a joke. If you watch that Arizona O-line, and I think that was the O-line I used as an example in the preseason when I said to people, you think this Jets O-line is bad. You wait till you see the Cardinals. And, man, you talk about a rookie quarterback who had no chance. Josh Rosen was swarmed constantly. Like, really, not, not it felt like it because we like him a lot which is the case with Donald and the Jets fans. He actually was running for his life and constantly getting hit. So if you want to tell me Spencer Long is going to come back as a backup, I'm fine with that. If you want to tell me Dakota Dozier's back as a backup, that's fine. But you need we need upgrades along the O-line. And we'll talk about that as the regular season or as the sorry, as the off-season unfolds. We will have the draft, we will have free agency. There will be plenty to talk about. But as of now, today, this very moment, the New York Jets are without a head coach. But there is a search underway and hopefully a coach on the way. Hopefully, again, hopefully a proven developer of quarterbacks. But whatever happens, the, uh, as I said at the top, the future is bright. The money is there. The quarterback's in place. The high pick is there. And, again, a little bit more talent on this on this team than people give them credit for. 
and hopefully whoever that new coach is, that talent will it will all come to fruition, and this team can make a leap from a four-win team to uh, to something much better than that, maybe a nine or ten-win team next year. Far too early to say. But thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for, uh, for, for always tuning in, really. The numbers have been steady, uh, you know, over the past uh, year plus. So things have been good. Um, you know, as, as, as the longtime folks know, it was a little bit different once Joe took off. And uh, he's doing well at TOJ. So good for him. And, uh, again, thanks for tuning in. Exciting time to be a Jets fan. Have a great night, folks. And we look forward to uh, – hopefully talking about the Jets' new head coach next week. And that, by the way, uh, we may pop on and do some special episodes. When that happens, when the, when the new coach is hired, um, if we're a few days away from an episode, we might just pop on. You might, uh, you might get a, an unexpected little notification that you have a new episode of Jet Nation Radio to listen to on a weird, strange, unexpected day of the week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great night.